Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to the Gospel of Matthew? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 11 this morning in a message entitled, Give Us This Day, Praying for God's Abundant Provision. And some of you are thinking, finally, a sermon about food. And, and we could go that way. I could do that. We could make this all about food because Jesus does teach us here to pray for our daily bread. And, and listen, I'm a self-confessed foodie. I like food. All kinds of food. Any kind of food. I love to eat. I love to cook. You can clearly tell. But I do have a thing for bread. I like all kinds of bread. I like cornbread and, and those little sweet Hawaiian rolls biscuits and everything in between love bread and just let me say this by the way all kidding aside the church this church ought to teach and provide opportunities for spiritual emotional and physical health we need to encourage one another to take better care of our bodies i noticed a brother this morning that it looked like he had lost some weight too many he'd lost 20 pounds i won't tell you who it was but we need to eat right and exercise so we'll be healthy, so we'll have more energy so that we can more effectively serve our Father. When we got up this morning, I, I dare say that not a single one of us had even the slightest doubt that we would be able to eat something today. We might have wrestled with exactly what it was that we're going, we were going to eat, but we knew we were going to get to eat at, at some point. Of course, some of us were rushed, or maybe some of you were fasting Right, And you just skipped breakfast. But that was a choice. Because we do have a choice. But that's not the case around the world, is it? Approximately 821 million people across the world will go hungry today simply because they don't have enough food to eat. That's one in nine people on earth. In the U.S., around 34 million people do not have enough food to eat on a daily basis. That's more than one in ten people in America who will go hungry today. Nine of those 38 million people are children. That means about one in eight children in our country will go hunger, hungry today. And I mentioned similar stats to this a few weeks ago, and, and like me, you were no doubt moved, even to the point of giving some money to that guy at the exit to where Winco empties out there. Maybe you did that, or maybe you sent some money to the SBC's Global Hunger Relief. By the way, Global Hunger Sunday is coming up on August the 27th. You want to point ahead to that. But like me, the impact of those appalling numbers and the reality that they represent, that tends to lessen with time and less time that I'm comfortable in telling you, admitting to. And it's not that we cease to care. It's that those people are out of sight. They're out, they're out of mind. Hunger, real food deprivation Missing a meal because there's nothing in the house to eat. Long-term food insecurity is just not a part of our everyday existence. Most of us have more than enough to eat. And actually, actually, the amount of food we waste is mind-boggling. If you've never heard these stats before, just hold on. In the United States, we waste between 30 and 40% of our food supply, 2.5 billion tons annually globally listen to this a third of all the food that's produced every year is lost or wasted that's more than enough to feed that 821 million people we said would suffer from hunger today 
We find it difficult to relate to folks who literally have no idea where their next meal is coming from or if there will even be a next meal. Were it not for the, the pictures and accounts given by those who have seen it firsthand, it would be difficult, if not impossible, for us to conceive the dire circumstances these people face every day. I'm going to share a little bit about my experience in just a bit. Before I do that, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Let's take a look at chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Where Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Fathers, we continue to make our way through these verses. Uh, we're overwhelmed at the depth they contain, and all the confess that we've glossed over this, these very familiar verses way too many times, and we're thankful for an opportunity to pour over them and to explore them deeply. I pray you'd speak to us a fresh, fresh message today, one that will challenge our hearts and, and our minds. And we pray that in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So Jesus has called us here in these verses to a, a deeper understanding of the glory of the Father. We've seen that already, right? How important it is that we grasp His majestic glory. We say, hallowed be your name, Father, as opposed to our own frailty and, and fallenness. We're the creatures, right? He's the creator. We're the ones that are needy. God is the one who provides and so now he, he turns to our personal needs and he wants us to see our Father cares not just about those weightier matters like the coming of his kingdom, like praising him, but that he cares about the mundane. He cares about the commonplace concerns of his children. And beyond that, Jesus is showing us that all of life is in a sense lived in the presence of God. R.C. Sproul reminds us that Christians live corum Deo. It's a Latin phrase, beautiful Latin phrase, that literally means before the face of God. He, he created us. He redeemed us. He sustains us. Our whole life belongs to our Father. God, God is king over every single breath that we breathe, all of our relationships, all the work of our hands. Beloved, we must remind ourselves that our lives are not compartmentalized with, with spiritual activities over here and, and every other activity over here. No, everything we do is before the face of God, for the glory of God, or not. And that includes our appetites. Even they are to be brought before our Father's throne. It's unfortunate that we often fail to acknowledge what some have called the dignity of our physical needs. Because we, until we see others who are experiencing this misfortune of deprivation that we've talked about, it's just hard to, hard to grasp. I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Haiti a few years ago even before there was this was right after a devastating earthquake but even before that even before an almost equally devastating hurricane and then the worst cholera epidemic in the history of the country even before that Haiti was the poorest country in the western hemisphere one of the poorest countries in the world remains so today in fact has a poverty rate of 70% 60% of Haitians live on less than $2 a day one in four live on less than a dollar and a quarter a day. Fifty percent don't have access to clean water, which has now led to another outbreak of cholera after it almost 
disappeared from the island. 80% don't have adequate sanitation available, which is why the water's contaminated, which is why they have cholera. Malnutrition and anemia run rampant. Haiti is the third hungriest country in the world. There are an estimated 1.2 million orphaned children in Haiti. When we were there, they weren't just in they weren't just gathered up in camps or homeless centers or where they were everywhere, literally everywhere. Hundreds of, of babies and children are abandoned shortly after their birth or in their early childhood. We went into homes of unbelievers, but we also went into homes of believers, and there, there are really no words to describe the level of deprivation. Homes where the children might get enough to eat, what we would call a snack, once a day. In fact, the parents just, just had to had heat often the larger portions of whatever little food they had so they could go out and try to work and try to make money to buy more food. If I hadn't seen all this with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe what those folks live with every single day. Give us this day our daily bread takes on a whole new meaning when you see how a large portion of the world lives. On the surface, we look at this verse and we say, well, there's not a lot here. Pretty simple phraseology. We wonder whether, you know, Pastor, why are you spending a whole sermon on this one particular verse? There's just not much to understand here. But I, but I would argue with you and say there's much to understand here. If we give these words a, a mere passing glance, we risk not grasping the depth and the importance of this petition. We need to take time to dig in a little bit here. Most of us have kitchen pantries that are well stocked we could go for weeks probably even months just on what's in our pantry and in our freezer pantry and if our supply of food is not that plentiful most all of us have the resources to go out and buy more food which can make it again difficult for us to relate to these verses and what we're talking about but we need to understand that many of those listening to jesus that day would have known what it was like to feel the pangs of hunger would have known what it was like to not know where their next meal was coming from so jesus dignifies our physical needs here by teaching us to petition god on matters seemingly as insignificant as the food that's on our plates samuel johnson was the one who once said he who would deny the stomach will soon be thinking of nothing but the stomach and we get that we understand that. We know the, the more we try to deny the necessity of food and, and how hungry we might be, the more urgent that need becomes. And that's why food is kept in the right perspective. It, it will serve as an almost constant reminder of, our, of God's greatness and, and goodness in His provision and our need for God's greatness and goodness in His provision. We are in constant need of His provision. God made us that way so that we would be reminded that, that we're not the master of our fate. Only He is, as the old hymn goes, I need thee every other day or so. How does that hymn go? I need thee every hour. Our hunger serves as a reminder of that truth often throughout the day. So we, might, we can't allow the power of these few simple words to pass us by without taking a close look. There's a strong message here if we'll take the time to listen because you see there's so much more that we need every day than just the food that fills our stomachs. And what Jesus is really doing here is teaching us how to pray for those things as well, for all of our needs. 
Some, some have said this is the most this expression is one of the most difficult in the entire scripture. There are a lot of theories and views out there, and we can't go into all of them, but it must at least mean this. Give us this day what is necessary for us. Some have said that it should read, Give us this day our bread for tomorrow, which essentially means the same thing. Regardless, this is a prayer for our necessities, and what, what I want you to see here is that bread is merely symbolic of all of our material needs, everything that is necessary for our existence. I want to ask you, aren't you just a little bit surprised that the very first personal petition, petition for our needs here, is give us our daily bread? I mean, think again about the context here. We, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So here, here we have this wonderful, exalted, very spiritual praise and adoration offered up to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we might, and I would dare say we, we would expect without prior knowledge, that the first petition would be about our spiritual needs, not about our physical needs, not our stomachs. But that's not how Jesus teaches us. He starts with the most commonplace of physical needs here. And He's considering our physical needs because first and foremost, just very plainly, we must have the most basic needs of our life met, if food and water, if we're going to continue to live at all. Bread was the staple in the diet of the Jews, and it had been so for, for many years. And it was also a very powerful uh, symbol of God's provision for His people in the Old Testament. You remember how God cared for the Israelites when they were in, in the wilderness, and life was hard for them there. And what the people began to do, they began to complain. They said, you know, we need to go back to Egypt. At least we had some good food to eat there. And in response to those complaints, God promised to rain down bread from heaven in Exodus 16 verse 4 and the next morning when the dew lifted there remained on the ground a small it was a small round substance as fine as frost we read again in Exodus 16 verse 31 it was like white coriander seed and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey that sounds pretty yummy huh so when God miraculously fed his people from heaven he did so with bread and evidently very good tasting bread it's interesting to me that in the language of our culture we sometimes speak of one partner in a marriage it used to always be the husband now that's not necessarily so we would speak as one partner as the wage earner in the home we call them the what breadwinner that's right and we sometimes call that partner that and even in the slang back in the day i didn't talk like this but i remember hearing folks refer to money as bread bread remains at least in our language is a powerful simple symbol of the basics when it comes to our needs and that's the key point that jesus is making here we've got to realize our utter dependence upon god even for our daily bread if god so willed it we wouldn't even have bread we're so clearly clearly and absolutely in the sovereign hand of god and yet the world's philosophy which is sheer madness says that because we've reached some level of technology and, and ingenuity and productivity, that we are somehow independent of God now. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a good thing for us to be reminded, at least once a day, that our health, our well-being, our existence are in the hands 
of our Heavenly Father. Our food and all the necessary things for our existence come from Him. We depend upon His grace and His mercy to receive them. One of the ways that God has revealed Himself to us is as Jehovah Yireh, which means, as we said last week, the Lord will provide. As a father provides for his children, so God is our provider. In James chapter 1, verse 17, we read, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. In Philippians 4, 19, we read, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And this, this is really, if you think about it, a marvelous and gracious gift that our Father has given us. This privilege of coming before the throne of the Creator of the universe with our praise and our petitions. Our, our Heavenly Father, who is self-existent, the great Jehovah, the omnipotent one, who is not dependent upon anyone, who is from eternity to eternity. And this is the astounding and marvelous truth we don't want to miss here. This God, this one who sustains and provides for us, our Father longs to hear from us about even the most simple of things. Because we are His children, He loves for us to come to Him. The God who made the galaxies, the heaven and the earth, the 200 billion estimated galaxy with each containing billions and billions of stars, He knows about all of our needs before we even ask. He takes great delight when He sees and hears us come to Him and ask for our daily bread. Listen, God not only gives us the things we need, He gives us the good things. He gives us what He alone knows we really need. Thankfully, not what we think we need, right? can get us in trouble. Now, before we turn our attention away from this passage, I think it's important for us to understand there are some basics, basic principles for us to understand that we can learn from God's Word here that we need to apply to our lives, principles that will help us, help put us into a position to have our prayers Answered. So we're going to give you, I'm going to give you three essential principles for receiving from God. And these are broken down into some subtopics, so, so I'll try to help you keep up with this. The first is the principle of obedience. If we want to receive from God what God wants to give us, we must be in His will. That's the whole point of Jesus emphasizing the priority and the preeminence He has over our lives in this model prayer He's given us. We can easily remove ourselves from His provision if we're not obedient in our walk. And, and one area that's basic and yet is often dismissed with regard to the will of God is simply our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Jesus Christ must be where it needs to be if we're going to be in a position where we can receive from Him what we need to receive. Jesus says in John 15, 7, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You and I know that if we don't maintain an intimate, ongoing, day-to-day -day relationship, it will not be a matter of answered or unanswered prayer because we will be so far away from Him that we won't be praying at all. Listen, beloved, the most important aspect of prayer is not whatever answer we may receive from God, but the intimacy prayer creates in our relationship with Him. If we neglect or we turn away from that close relationship with Jesus, we give up our position in prayer. The power to pray and receive answers to those prayers is rooted in our relationship 
with Jesus. We must be passionate. We must be purposeful about keeping that love relationship with Christ where it needs to be. And because love for God and love for others is inseparable, another area where we need to make sure we're in the will of God is in our relationship to our church family. So we're still talking here about the first principle, obedience or being in His will to receiving from God. We cannot truly love God and not love His people. Nor can we love His people and not love God. Look, if we neglect our love for and fellowship with one another, we will inevitably and quickly find ourselves out of the will of God. Now, we imagine we can pull it off. You know, we say, well, I can miss a few Sundays here and there. It won't make any difference. But a few Sundays turn into a month, and a month turns into several months. And before you know it, it's been since last Easter. And you're one of those people who used to talk about being on the CEO plan, Christmas, Easter, and one other time. The Bible clearly teaches, though, that we're to be actively involved in and committed to a local church. Kevin DeYoung writes, The church is not an incidental part of God's plan. Jesus didn't invite people to join an anti-religion, anti-doctrine, anti-institutional bandwagon of love, harmony, and reintegration. He showed people how to live, to be sure, but He also called them to repent, called them to faith, called them out of the world, and called them into the church. The Lord didn't add to the church, he quotes John Stott here, the Lord didn't add them to the church without saving them, and he didn't save them without adding them to the church. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If we truly love the church, we will bear with her in her failings, endure her struggles, believe her to be the beloved bride of Christ, and hope for her final glorification. The church is the hope of the world, not because she gets it all right, but because she is a body with Christ for her head. Don't give up on the church. The New Testament knows nothing of churchless Christianity. The invisible church is for invisible Christians, the young says. The visible church is for you and me. And while we're here, let me just say this. This is where we see the importance of small groups in our church. Small groups are opportunities. Opportunities where fellowship and relationships can become rich and meaningful and fulfilling. And if you're not currently plugged into one of our small groups, I implore you to do so. There are any number of choices for you. Find one and plug in. The Bible tells us, beloved, that Jesus Christ shed His blood for the church. Acts 20, 28 tells us that Christ died for the church. So how important do you think it is to Him that we're a part of one? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we read, Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. And he's not already talking about the preachers here. He's talking about everybody else. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. But if you're not part of a local body of believers, how can you be obedient to that command? You can't. We read again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Beloved, if we want to be in the will of God, that's what we're talking about here as a principle for receiving from God, we must be in right relationship with one another and the local church, 
where we can grow and serve God as part of that body. A second principle of obedience is seen in our relationship to work. Paul stresses this when he's writing to the church in Thessalonica where he urges them and us to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we have instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. He goes so far as to say in first and second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10, for even when we were with you we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Mm. So it's clear that there is an interactive relationship between the providence of God and our own labor. Jesus didn't tell us to ask the Lord for our daily bread so that we could sleep in late and make no effort to do the hard work and earn what comes from that hard work. Quite the opposite. God commands us to be productive in our work with respect to the provision of our needs. The Apostle Paul says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, on the one hand, we trust in the benevolent providence of God to give us our daily bread. And on the other hand, we're to be industrious, doing everything we can to provide for ourselves and our families. God typically works through means, and He normally provides through the means of our labor. In God's economy, there is no welfare role for those who refuse to do what they can do. If we, if we refuse, beloved, to be diligent about our work habits, then we take ourselves out of a position to receive from God. One last area of obedience has, in this first principle here is our relationship to money. And let me just take a moment to tell you how thankful I am for your faithfulness in this area. Richmond Baptist Church has a long history of generosity when it comes to their giving, whether we're talking about the budget or the cooperative program or Lottie Moon or Annie Armstrong. Uh, and the way you help out behind the scenes with ministries like Manor Market. So as your pastor, I want to thank those who are obedient with the tithe and generous with giving your grace giving, which is giving over and above the tithe. And let, while I'm here, let me just say this, because somebody's out there saying right now, well, you know the New Testament doesn't teach tithe, Pastor. Well, he does talk about the tithe, right? You, you tithe your mint and your cumin, right? When you should not have neglected this other. But listen, we've been studying this already, and you've seen... Jesus says what? You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. When he did that, did he ever lower the standard? But I suggest to you that he has not lowered the standard with regard to our giving either. You know something a lot of Christians don't get, church? is this. When you and I tithe, when we give over and above our tithe to various causes, we are actually giving a portion of, of God's money back to Him, not some of our money to the church. Somebody say amen. amen. It's all His. And this is an area where so many people take themselves out of a position to receive from God because of disobedience. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some having wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, at the core of that tight-fisted really kind of attitude is the love of money. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 tells us that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. So if you're here today and, and you're refusing to be obedient to God in the matter of your giving, you are under the bondage of greed. And you will never be satisfied. No matter how much you accumulate, you're only setting yourself up for bitterness and regret down the road. So, three principles for receiving from God. First, we must be obedient to God in terms of our fellowship with Jesus Christ, our relationship with the church, our work habits, and our tithing and grace giving over and above the tithe. So, the second principle now for receiving from God is that we must trust Him. We must trust Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He who exists, that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So as I thought about this, I thought, well, you know, what does trusting look like? Well, first of all, if we trust God, it will change our prayer life. It will change our prayer life. There are times when in His, in His wisdom and for our benefit, God will delay in answering our prayers. Many of us, probably most of us in this room, have experienced that. Some of us have been praying for years. Maybe you're there right now, and it can test us, right? But when this happens, we need to, we've got to continually remind ourselves that if God delays, it's always in our best interests. Everything that our Father does is rooted in His unparalleled wisdom, His steadfast love, and His sovereign purposes. King David, in Psalm 37, verse 34, writes, Wait for the Lord, and keep His way, and He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look, when the wicked, you will look on when the wicked are cut off. David learned to wait on the Lord, trusting in His sovereign grace and goodness, and you and I must trust our Heavenly Father in the same way. And then closely related, if we trust God, we are less likely to trust ourselves. You recall in Genesis chapter 16 the story of how Abraham, most famous for what? His trust, his faith, right? In God, in the most difficult of situations, like with Isaac, right? How he forged ahead of God in an effort to fulfill his promise, God's promise about an heir. Scripture tells us that it was Abraham's wife, Sarah, who devised the scheme to circumvent God's plan. The Scripture says, And Sarah said to Abram, Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. That was Hagar, remember. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So not much pushback from Abraham here, right? Hagar did indeed give birth to a son, Ishmael, but this, this wasn't God's plan. Not how the promise was meant to be fulfilled. And the failure of Abraham and Sarah to trust God had devastating consequences. Chuck Swindoll writes, All of this points to a difficult yet helpful truth. Every act of sin is forgivable. Some of the effects of, some, the effects, excuse me, of some sins are not erasable. 
we can learn a lesson from Abraham's life, recognizing that the shockwave of sin can reverberate down through generations, even causing harm to people not yet born, Swindoll writes. And then when we're talking about trusting God and what it looks like, if we trust God, we will not be afraid. Behold, God, in Isaiah chapter 12, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust Him and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. But when we take our eyes off God, and we look at our problems, we look at our circumstances, we look at our surroundings, we look at other people, we look at any other thing, we are most likely then to fall into a state of fear. The psalmist teaches us that even in the darkest of times, we must trust our sovereign shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And beloved, then if we trust God, we will find ourselves satisfied with His provision. One of our favorite verses, Romans 8, 28, 8.32, I mean, 8.28, excuse me. We're promised that our Father will work all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Jesus tells us in our text to ask our Father for our daily bread. Later on, in the Sermon on the Mount, He tells us that our Father knows that we need food and drink and clothing, right? All representative of all of His provisions. And that we're to do what? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Beloved, we must believe that our Father will supply our needs one day at a time according to His sovereign will. Lastly, if we trust God, we will demonstrate faith. We will demonstrate faith. Going back to something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that the church needs to strive for is a deeper knowledge of God. Beloved, our faith is made stronger when we contemplate who God is in all His glory. Our faith will be strengthened when we recall everything He has done for us in the past. And listen, beloved, our faltering faith can be rekindled and once again be pleasing to our Father without faith it is impossible to please God. If we will remember how those who have gone before us, that great cloud of witnesses how they showed us what it was like to rely upon God through times of temptation through days of darkness through seasons of great adversity and affliction as well as in times of joy and abundance church family we must not only believe that God exists we must believe that he will in fact reward us if we believe in him by providing for all of our needs this is the heart of what it means to trust our father Obedience, trust. And then finally, the third principle for receiving from God is persistence. In Luke 18, you know the story. You're well familiar. The story of the widow and the unjust judge. Jesus told that to teach us we need to persevere in our praying, right? She kept coming, the widow did. She kept coming before the judge until she got what it was she was asking for. And Jesus wants us to see that we need to keep bringing our provisions before the Father until He answers. Now, His answer may be no. But but until we get that kind of response, we must persevere in our prayers until until we do receive an answer. 
Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. To come to our Jehovah Yireh, our Father, who desires, beloved, He desires to provide for all of our needs. If we will be obedient, if we will only trust Him, be faithful, be persistent, our Father promises to give us all we need for every new day. This petition of the Lord's Prayer then teaches us to come to God in humility, understanding that He alone can give us what it is that we need, asking Him to provide all that we need to sustain us from day to day. And it's not about, this is is not some kind of prosperity gospel. It's not about asking Him to help us gain riches, but to make our needs known to Him, trusting Him that He will provide for us. Sometimes, sometimes when we pray, it may seem as if God does not hear that His hand of provision is close to us. If we struggle seeing His his providential care, I suggest that maybe we need to take a, a closer look at our prayer life. Our default prayer is to pray in a very general way. But when we do that, we may only see His provision in a very general way. As we come before Him with our petitions, seeking to draw closer and closer to Him, understanding that we desperately need Him, and in laying our needs before Him, pouring out our souls and our needs specifically, we will begin to see specific answers to our prayers. Listen, beloved, our Father in Heaven has issued you a personal invitation. It is embossed with your name upon it, calling you to come to Him and to ask Him for your daily bread, and He will not fail to provide it. Jesus often refers to Himself as the bread of life, and I'm closing now. The true manna sent from heaven. In John chapter 6, verse 35, we read, I am the bread of life, Jesus speaking. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. What a blessed promise. For you and I to live on this earth, we must eat. If you want eternal life in heaven, I suggest to you that eating is necessary as well. You can't just come to church. You can't just admire Jesus. A lot of folks attend church Folks that see themselves as believers, they admire Jesus, they have respect for Jesus, they recognize the value of His teaching. But listen to me, beloved. You cannot just admire Jesus. You can't just come to this place and admire Jesus. You have to eat, which is to believe fully in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Eating is a response to hunger. So the people who eat are the people who are what? Hungry. What is hunger? It's the aching of the heart of one who knows he or she is empty. Beloved, if you're here this morning, you are hungry for more than food. Please know that's the work of the Holy Spirit, making your heart and soul hungry for that alone 
which can satisfy. That's the Father calling you to Himself. The hungry heart sees the bread. The hungry heart longs for the bread of life, longs for forgiveness and freedom and a forever future that can only come through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time we pray, we ought to acknowledge our deeper need for the bread of life. The only one who can truly satisfy. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we are come before you today mindful that uh, we've taken so much for granted. You've blessed us to live in a bounteous and abundant place. You've given us more than we need. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit pointing out ways and opportunities for us to be able to help others who are not in that blessed position. And we're thankful for the opportunities we have to give to those in need money or food, whatever it is to sustain them. Pray that we continue to be faithful in doing that. Father, the greater need, the eternal need, is to eat of the bread of life. So I want to pray for those who are here this morning and who have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But this morning, perhaps in a fresh way, perhaps even for the first time, but in a fresh way, you're speaking to their heart. Father, I pray that they would recognize that's not my words. That's not the words of some song that we sang or prayer that was uttered. That's your Holy Spirit communicating to their heart, drawing them, wooing them, drawing them to yourself, that they might yield to your Lordship. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning and are sensing that, that you are calling them that, to some response to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would not neglect, not fail to answer that calling. Father, I want to pray for those who are here and they're searching for a, a church home. They, they want to be plugged in somewhere. Father, they've been looking for a place to, to put down roots and to grow, a place that teaches Your Word continually and effectively, a place that's mission-minded, a place that's unified and... and seeking to do God's will in their community and beyond. And I pray if, if that's the case and those folks are here today and, and they're ready, Lord, to, to make a commitment to be a member of Richland Baptist Church that they will not delay any longer. But they come today, Father, and become a part of the family of faith known as Richland Baptist Church. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.